welcome to the Hackney Church Podcast. Our vision is to bring hope to the heart of Hackney. To connect in, visit us online at hackney.church or follow us on Instagram at hackney.church. Enjoy. Lord, here you go, my friend. So these seats are a long way down for a big man. They are. They are. How tall are you, Claude? Um, I'm about six eight ish. Six eight. Yeah, me too. Hey, and um, this isn't um, this isn't your first time in Hackney, is it? What's um, this? Isn't my first time. What in were you doing the last time you um, were here? Circumstances were slightly different. Last time I was in Hackney, I was selling um, a load of drugs. So I used to be a drug dealer, and all joking aside, Hackney was one of my sort of areas. Hackney, Peckham, Brixton, Streatham, and surrounding into Surrey was my network. Wow. Hey, so um, tell us a little bit about the early years of your life. What was it like um, growing up? The early years of my life was very difficult. It was, um, it was a turbulent time. Um, I lived in a house that was filled with domestic violence and child, physical child abuse. And, and um, my dad was from Jamaica. My mum was English. And um, I've got four older brothers, one older sister. I'm the youngest. And um, yeah, it was challenging times, to say the least. Well, and then um, in particular, um, tell us a bit about your, um, your brother and your dad, because I know that they had a significant impact on you, didn't they? Sure, my dad was like, my like he was like my hero and my arch enemy um he just conditioned us to really he was an emotionless man he showed very little emotion and he would respond his response to everything was almost always violent and i remember just trying to condition myself to be so emotionally detached that i wanted to be just like my dad but at the same time i just really struggled with the fact that he was so emotionless towards us that i didn't know how it was really confusing at a younger age for me because um i loathed him but despised him in the, same, in the same hand. And my brother, my eldest brother, uh, moved out when he was around about 12. And he went to live with my nan in Brixton. And um, he would come back like every other week with a story of, you know, freedom. And he'd bring a weapon or a knife or a gun or he'd have a chain or jewelry or new trainers as to the adventures he'd been on while he was away. So I really fell in love with the fairy tale of the freedom that my brother had found while we was all in the house. We wasn't allowed to play out until we was <clears throat> maybe, I, I didn't go out till I was about 16. Wow. Mm. And, and, and how bad did it get at home? I mean, tell us a bit, um, you told me earlier on about uh, something to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger that yeah. I thought was quite, quite interesting. Yeah, so um, I don't think there's many people here today that was born in the 80s but I'm an 80s baby and um, there's a few of us yeah, yeah. Yeah, the old guard the old guys right and um, the film Terminator came out in the 80s the first one and it was everybody was so gassed off of Terminator it was just like the main thing it was the biggest thing and me and my four older brothers would just watch it religiously and um Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie, you know, he's the Terminator, he's indestructible, he's unstoppable, nothing could stop him. And um, I remember like a, a couple of weeks after, maybe a week or two after the film came out and we'd all seen it, my eldest brother turned up at our house 
and um, you know, summoned us all to go into the back bedroom. And there I was. I was, you know, a little smaller than I am now, but I went along being the youngest. I followed my brothers down to the back room, and my eldest brother produced the same gun. Not exactly the same, but the same model that Arnold Schwarzenegger used in the movie Terminator. And he allowed us to all examine it and look at it. And I remember thinking how, how much heavier it was the steel, the cold steel in my hands, you know? And I was only maybe five or six, seven years old tops. And um, I remember thinking, you know, that my brother's got the same gun that Terminator's got. You know, it just magnified my brother to like a godly level where I just wanted to be him. So then what happened as you sort of grew, so that was five, six, seven, as your childhood carried on? Yeah, at, um, school times, like in school and stuff, the only time I'd get a response from my dad really was if I came home from school, if I had been in a fight or something, you know, my dad would engage, like he'd say, what did you do to him, you know? And I'd get that response for a moment, that attention that I was seeking. So when I was at school, I was very violent. I always wanted to be a nice guy, but I was violent. And then um, the whole time I'm just trying to, I'm split between trying to condition myself through life to be emotionless and then copy my brother. I want to be like my brother. And um, by the time I was in upper infants, you know, eight, nine, 10 sort of thing, my brother went to prison for kidnap. And uh, I was allowed to go and visit him along with my mum. Um, while he was in Feltham, young offenders. And then he, when he moved to Pentonville, I was no longer allowed to see him. And it was really difficult time because I was really, um, I felt a little bit cheated. You know, a lot of animosity and anger towards, uh, towards other kids at school, I guess, unfortunately. They're who I took my, my frustration out on. And there was violence in the house, so. It was tough times. So then what happened a few years passed and um, about 16 or so? Sure. After my brother went to prison, our house um, got repossessed, just coincidentally, nothing to do with my brother. And we all moved out into a very small two-bed house where at the time there was maybe, you know, maybe seven or eight of us. Um, and I would sleep under the stairs and my other two brothers would sleep on the front room floor, and my other brother would sleep on the settee. And um, I just, by, the t by that sort of age, it's like 13, 14, it's just totally disengaged from school. When I was at school, they'd just sit me in a hall uh, on a single chair and a single desk on my own, or in a corridor somewhere. Um, and uh, I just grew more and more frustrated. And um, yeah, I didn't complete school, so I left school with no qualifications. And around about 15, 16, I began to sell cannabis. And at 16, my dad passed. And um, my brother had came home from jail by then. And um, I don't know, it was a really conflicting time for me because you didn't know whether you wanted to just run wild because the reins had been taken off. There was no more chains. So the family, me and my four older brothers, we just exploded onto the streets. Just a lot of violence and a lot of drug dealing. You know, and I got arrested at 17. Tell us a bit about that. That's all right. Yeah, that was my first arrest. I didn't have, I had a car, you know, bought a car. Didn't have a license, didn't have insurance. 
and got pulled over and um, had a mate in the car and a lot of drugs. And um, funnily enough, for one reason or another, they couldn't press charges. So I got let go. And then, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to, you know, I might stop. I'm going to stop. I'm just going to get rid of the drugs I got left. And by then, by the time you get rid of what you've got left, you, you know, you're ready to go again. You're back in that mentality. Um, and yeah, by the time I was 19, had a convertible, um, no license, no insurance. And then, yeah, had uh, sold a, a whole load of cannabis, a large amount of cannabis. But, and by the time I was 21, I was selling crack cocaine as well as cannabis. By the time I was 25, I had access to um, all sorts of drugs. Any drug I wanted to, needed to supply. I was never taking the drugs, I was always selling the drugs, which doesn't make it any better, but it's just the way it was. Wow, so how long in total, generally, were you um, dealing? Um, in total, rough, just under 20 years. Wow. Yeah, day in, day out. Yeah. And then, and then what happened to you, so? Uh, in my late 20s, I had uh, an opportunity, I think there was an article or something came up where I had the opportunity to do some volunteer mentoring for the borough, for the council in Surrey at the time where I was living. Um, so I had a lot of time on my hands, obviously, <laughs> as a full-time drug dealer. So I thought it would be a great um, cover-up, actually, to do a bit of volunteer mentoring on the side. And not secretly, my whole life had been nothing but a struggle. So I was like, you know what, I might have something to say. I might have something to say to these boys. And um, um, it was when I was mentoring young offenders that my manager, I met a chap called Rob, um, who was a phenomenal guy. And you, um, I mean, talk a bit about, because you started off as a volunteer, yes. but you seemingly did quite well. And they, and they gave you a job? Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, it was really weird stuff, actually. I was, uh, I, was, I was doing, evidently, you know, I was doing so well, they made me a sessional worker, and they gave me a contract, and I'd go on to, like, your magistrate's court in Wimbledon as a, you know, appropriate adult to stand as a representative <laughs> to these young offenders, and then I would um, be a chaperone to community service for these boys, that was on tag and it was nuts. It was so surreal. I was pulling up in like BMWs and convertible Audis and like Mercedes, all brand new from the showroom. I used to just buy cars like sneakers, just, mm. just copping them. And um, it was while I was doing that, that um, I would turn up at the, at the office and uh, there's Rob, this chap, my manager at the time. He was the manager of the whole borough. And I was turning up in really expensive, I was so foolish with my money, um, really expensive 350 pound Gucci or Prada and 400 pound jeans. And I put my feet up on the desk and I remember thinking, crikey, I have made it. Like I had a, you know, the leather chairs, what lean back the office chairs, like, so I'd, as big as I am, I'd make sure I roll across the office floor in the chair. <laughs> And uh, just really surreal things that I'd never encountered before in my life. Like, never imagined I'd have a desk in an office somewhere. And, um, but the whole time, I'd be extra loud just to sort of 
psychologically prod Rob because my ego was nuts. It was completely out of control. Mm. So I would just be like, like I said, feet up on the desk or I'd come in the office and it was like a double door and everybody used the single doors and I'd just burst in like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it was off the lead. I was gone. And um, and just say a bit about how, because um, you, you know, you obviously you'd, you'd accrued quite a lot of money and possessions. What had that done to you? Yeah. Um, because you obviously ended in this moment. Um, but how were you actually doing on the inside? Yeah. So um, the weird thing is, I started out selling like a bit of weed to my friends in the park. You know, just doing like advised by my older siblings and then over the years it developed and someone wanted a kilo and then someone wanted four key and then I was buying like 10 key and I was making tr like so much dough and this is how I know it's all a lie because you, the, the more dough I made the more unhappy I became because you end up so paranoid that I couldn't sleep so I'd sleep on top of my covers on my bed and the only time I'd get changed is in the morning to get up and shower because I was scared if my house got raided or the police raided my house or someone broke in. I lost count of the amount of times my house has been raided, amount of times my mum's house has been raided, you know, and um, you can't spend the money. Like, I bought a brand-new BMW and the police pulled me over, pounded the car. So, like, all this nonsense that people are out here buying mansions and... These movies are a lie, I can assure you of that much, because you can't, really can't do nothing with the dough. So I was just so, um, I became so trapped in this lie that I'd bought into over the years. I spent a lifetime investing in something that wasn't even true. Wow. There's no such, you know, such thing as a trap star and all that, because it doesn't work like that. You get to a certain level, and I was getting pulled in by the police and questioned, and they was telling me, it's only a matter of time before we get you, Claude. And I was like, you know, they're not going to get me. You know what I mean? I'm untouchable. The ego was incredible. Yeah. So I just became more and more sad and unhappy. Mm. Wow. So you're a sessional, youth work, uh, sessional worker yeah. for the council. And, and what happened? You were telling us about... As a sessional worker for the council. I started doing a little youth work in youth clubs. You know, they asked me if I fancied doing that. And then we had a team building day. And... Um, Everybody who was on the books had to go, like team building, never done anything like that before. Me and my squadron definitely didn't have team building days. <laughs> there wasn't any trips to Alton Towers. The most you'd get as a team builder was a fight down the club. Who's got who's back sort of thing. So I went along to this team building day and... Um, I remember Rob, you know, he's so humble. He'd have his little chinos on and his plimp soles and that. I'm there in my jeans looking. I, know, I looked like the weirdo. I thought I looked cool, but I must have looked ridiculous. And um, I'd turn up in a car convertible. He'd have a push bike. I'd go down the restaurant and buy everyone lunch. He'd have his pack lunch. And um, just a total polar opposite. And uh, we had to do an icebreaker where you had to introduce yourself and say something that no one else would know about you. And I don't know why, but I get a kick out of this every time because I think of the lady. So this lady called Sandra started the ball rolling, so to speak. And I'm not sure if she got the memo, but she said, you know, hi. She stood up, my name's Sandra. And what nobody knows is every day after work, I buy a big bar of chocolate and eat it on the bus on the way home. And I thought it was going to be more factual. So <laughs> my name's Claude. I like sumo wrestling. 
<laughs> I don't like sumo wrestling, yeah. but I don't know. We was just throwing these things about. So it became, finally went round, everyone said an icebreaker, and then Rob's turn to say something. And I remember thinking, he's so square, you know what I mean? But he was the only one, every day in the office, he'd come in and he'd say to me, how you doing, Claude? How you doing? How's things? And I, was, I remember thinking, what's going on with this guy? Why does he keep asking me how I'm doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, he stood up and he said, my name's Rob. And what nobody knows about me, and he produced a little box like from a jewelry shop, sort of like the sort of thing you have a ring in. And I remember thinking, wait, wait, you know, and then he got the box out, opened the box, and produced the crucifix. And he held it up and he said, my name's Rob, I'm a Christian, and Jesus changed my life. And I remember like the conviction at the time, because I'd spent 30 years trying to be emotionless, like, man, I was so rock solid, bro. Mm. Like, I've been in confrontations that I can't even believe myself. And then there, little Robbies just stood up, cool as a cucumber, bold, took this cross out, like, what? You got a crucifix out of a box and declared you're a Christian, bruv. <laughs> I'll rather fight a lion, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I was just struck at how confident Rob was. And... Um, yeah, I just asked, after he shared his testimony, I said, uh, you know, I got him, he was on his way out, I cap got him, I was about to say I captured him, I didn't capture him. <laughs> I, I approached him, <laughs> I captured Rob and then I kidnapped him. Yeah. I approached Rob and I said, uh, you know, Rob, phenomenal story. Like, and he was like, thanks, Claude. He must have been thinking Claude. And then I said, um, can we have a chat? He said, I'd love to, Claude, but I've got to shoot off, I've got to catch a train. I said, Rob, um, I'll give you a lift to the train station. And he's so polite. That's ever so kind of you, Claude, but no thank you. I said, no, it's all right, Rob, get in the car. And no, no, honest, honestly, Claude, I'll, sh I'll shoot off. I said, Rob, come on, get in the car. He, no, no, Claude, it's right. I said, Rob, get in the car. <laughs> and then the, the crazy thing is he got in the motor. <laughs> and I remember at the time he, he looked at a convertible TT Quattro. I've been told it was a hairdresser's car, but you know, he'd done the job at the time. So then he got in, and I remember when he got in, he said, Claude, this is a, this is a very nice car, Claude. He must have been thinking, how are you doing this as a volunteer? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then I looked at him, and I was like, um, it's an amazing story, Rob. And he looked at me, and then I remember he was looking at me, and I was looking at him, and I didn't know if he was a little bit nuts, or if maybe he was thinking I was a little bit mad. But I said, where could I find out more about Jesus, Rob? because it was my first time I'd encountered an individual who was speaking of Jesus firsthand. Like, Rob was talking about Jesus like he lived next door and he's going to pop round for a cup of tea. Like, <laughs> yeah. So he said, um, have you heard of an Alpha course? So I was like, you know, that's the big red sign. We've all seen a big red sign somewhere, Alpha, you know what I mean? And he said, yeah, why don't you do an Alpha course? And yeah, that was it. it was Amazing, so what, what happened? You went home that day? Yeah, shot home. I was so gassed, I was just so, so gassed off of, off of um, Rob and his boldness and his courageousness that I shot home, I looked on the internet and there happened to be an alpha course starting the next evening and I just signed up for it, boom, here we go. Let's go and see what this is all about, you know what I mean? Wow. Wow, and then what was that like? The, the, the alpha course, I, like I was such, 
a fool. Like, I was thinking I'm going to go down there. There's going to be some sandal-wearing Christians. And do you know what I mean? I'll just tell them what's what and leave. And um, I got down there, and they were such a friendly bunch of individuals. Like, my best friends do in 20 years. So, I was, do you know what I mean? The sort of people I was mixing with, they were killers and thieves, and you don't even laugh with each other, but we thought we were mates. But these guys... Friendly folk, welcome me. Hello, Claude, nice to have you here. And then shook hands, like, uh, shook hands. I'd, uh, we never shake hands, like, what's all that about? And then I remember thinking, mm, I don't know, this might be a setup or something, you know what I mean? And um, it was good. Then the following week, I couldn't wait to get back. And um, I must have been like the craziest drug dealer in the world. So I'm telling my friends, like, this is amazing, these people are amazing. I'm going back on Tuesday. And then I rushed back and I said, this week, you know, they beat me to the punch last week with the handshake. Week two, I'm going to get in there, boom, shake his hand. So I turn up, I'm like, hello, everybody, good afternoon. And as I put my hand out, the fella opened his arms and gave me a hug. <laughs> so what is going on here? It was the first time I remember a male ever hugging me. Wow. I remember when he held me, I thought, wow, I haven't felt that before. What was week three like? <laughs> I'm well, just saying. I'm just mate, saying. Mate, <laughs> I don't know if we can talk about week three. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, so, um, week three was all about Jesus. And um, if you felt comfortable to, and if you wanted to, invite him into your life. So, I mean, I said, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen, innit? Like, and my ego was so out of control. The attitude and arrogance. I said, Jesus, I dare you to come into my life. I dare you to, to do what these people are saying you can do and make a change in my life, you know? Because I, was, I, was I wasn't doing all right. I mean, I don't know if you can be a successful drug dealer, but I was successful at drug dealing. So crime doesn't pay, but it paid at the time. So I dared him into my life because I thought he, there's nothing he can do, you know what I mean? And then um, I felt instant conviction, you know? I didn't know it at the time, sort of, but it was the spirit. I felt it in my heart, you know what I mean? And um, I, felt, I felt filled. And I woke up the next day. Um, I was the happiest person in the world. It's so nuts, isn't it? I so woke up ecstatic. You know, and then the following week, I remember about a week later, I bought, I bought some cocaine. And um, I remember looking at it and just seeing it for the first time in 20 years is what it was, you know. But prior to that, it could have been a, a box of Maltesers. But this time, I saw it and it's cocaine. And I remember I said to myself, surely my contribution to the world isn't to poison individuals. Mm. And... Um, but it was a wrap. It was a wrap. I was, it, I was checked out. By the end of the Alpha course, you know, I stopped selling drugs completely. Told, told my, thank you, praise Jesus, right? Thank God. And then I told my, um, confess my sins, right, to the vicar. That's what I thought you had to do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, a couple months after, a month later, got baptised. Wow. Yeah, it was Amazing. Yeah. And so, um, then 
you know, what difference has Jesus made over the last, it's about six years now? It's been about, yeah, it's been about six years. It's been nothing but a madness. Like, life is a roller coaster, but Jesus changed my entire life. And even just sitting here today, I look back and I think, who was I kidding about daring Jesus to do something? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And um, it's been amazing. I got a job, I had a proper job. You still got a proper job. But I had a proper job afterwards, and it was the first, 32 years old, and um, didn't even know how to get on the bus, you know what I mean? I've been driving cars so long, when I got on the bus, I said, you know, adult to so-and-so, and he said, mate, we use Oyster cards. Like, <laughs> he, he must have thought I crawled out from a cave somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, had to, had to sell the motors. Unfortunately, the cars had to go. And um, Jesus has been phenomenal. He's developed and he's been with me every step of the way. And then, um, Claude, I guess there's lots of people here who have questions. Some people here that have faith. Some people have faith in exploring. Some people here, perhaps, who actually resonate more with your story than they'd ever let someone know here on a Sunday. But if you could give one encouragement um, to us, you know, uh, what would it be? Floor's yours. Um, that God is real and Jesus can and will change your life. And I would encourage everybody to just lean in and I'll share with everybody something I tell myself every day. God made you because he loves you and he loves you because he made you. Mm. And God doesn't set us up to fail. Mm. And if you do your best, God will do the rest. Wow, come on. Hey, could you give a massive thank you to Claude Jackson? Thanks for listening to the Hackney Church podcast. Don't forget to connect in online at hackney.church and we'll see you soon. God bless.